This episode of Truce Table is brought to you by Truce Table. By Truce Table. Black women's musings on life, love, and liberations everywhere where books are sold. Online, in the stores, at your mama's pop bookstore. Go buy our book. Everywhere. Period. And debt-free degree with Dr. Roz, whose mission is to teach students to create wealth by graduating without loans or debt. Avoid the average $75,000 in student loan debt. Follow Debt-Free Degree with Dr. Roz on Instagram and Twitter at Debt-Free Degree with Dr. Roz and visit her Patreon community, www.patreon.com slash debt-free degree. Hey y'all, welcome to Truth Table, Midwives of Culture for Grace and Truth. I'm McKemini. I'm Michelle. This table is built by Black women and for Black women. So welcome to the table, M. How you doing, girl? Yay! All right, all right. <laughs> not, bad, not bad for a midweek. Oh, I should say I'm doing well. Well, 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 well. Yes, you got to get the people the wells. You got to get them the wells on a Wednesday. Well, they're not going to hear this on a Wednesday, but you... <laughs> Whatever day it is, we're doing <laughs> I know that's right. <laughs> well, I'm glad to be back at the table with your sister. Because, you know, now at this point, we've been doing a, li- a little press and uh, people have been asking us questions and, and things. And they have, been, they have also been asking us, you know, about your chapter. And I'm like, well, you know, I did not write her chapter. <laughs> I, cannot, I cannot speak for her, but I can speak to the fact that she brought the heat in the book. I can speak to that. <laughs> so, Literally, we have had people ask, like, so now about this this chapter, love and justice. I'm like, right, yes, yes. I'm like, I did not write that though. So I don't I cannot, I cannot answer these questions the way you're wanting me to answer them. But yes, my sister put it down. All right, y'all. <laughs> so y'all, we are back. We have another behind our book episode. And this one is Love and Justice in Multi. Ethnic Worship by Michelle Higgins. So that's what, that is what we got going on here at the table. So Michelle, this chapter, this is interesting because, well, I'm gonna let you tell it, but this is an interesting chapter. And I normally would say why, but how, um, let me ask how this chapter came about. How did this one come about? And why did you decide to put it in in this book um, that is for black women? That's, That's interesting. Talk, talk to us, sister. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the things that uh, our sisters uh, talk about or come come to the table to experience some healing for mm-hmm. is the fact that you know many of us don't attend Black church. Mm. Uh, many of us are are members and dedicated supporters, and maybe even leaders of churches that um, look at us as tokens and not necessarily mm-hmm. um, the majority um, as we are, you know, in, in this w- more of a global perspective, women of color and then black women, how worship works. Uh, we are so integral to worship across the globe uh, in terms of music and praying and preaching. Um, but for a number of our American sisters, um, sisters who live in European context, sisters who live in more evangelical context, we may not all be uh, members of a Black church. And our truth table for a lot of our listeners is a hush harbor space. It's an experience to listen to Black women talk about Black 
miss right. and not apologize for it and not explain it. And, you know, we use the phrase to be ourselves without explaining ourselves. And oh, if only you could go to church on Sunday and have the same thing. Mm-hmm. So I wrote this, um, you know, and similarly to writing divorce, not everybody we interact with is divorced. Right. Um, but but this this chapter specifically is for our sisters who have been dedicated to a particular type of theology and have found that when they find the teaching that sings to their soul, uh, the music ain't, ain't quite doing it uh, <laughs> specifically. So this is kind of a love letter to our sisters and also something that maybe could speak for them in those church contexts, a chapter that they can take to their pastor, mm-hmm. um, a chapter they can take to their music director. And it's also very specifically a story about a Black woman yeah. whose worship tradition is rooted in Black Pentecostal church, mm-hmm. who will always be a Black Pentecostal worshiper, worship leader. That's how I preach. That's mm-hmm. how I sing. That's how I and it's again in some ways just my narrative um, my story my music on being black and seeing the difference between multicultural and multi-ethnic yeah you know I I think it's I think it's so wise. It was wise of you to write this chapter uh, because we can no longer assume that um, black Christians period, but black Christian women are uh, um, born and raised on the pews and in the pews of black churches. We we can't make that assumption anymore. That's that's not a safe assumption um, to make anymore. And so I do think um, that the benefit of having this chapter in there is that uh, we see you, sis, even over there in the multi-ethnic church, even over there in a white evangelical church. And yes, definitely, they're at the black church. So it's like we, we're hitting different segments, I think, you know, of the church from our our various vantage points, right? And so I think that's what's um, the beauty, you know, of having this chapter uh, in included in the book. And so I'm curious about your own uh, writing process. Well, I, I, or even, y- yes, I'm going to go to writing process and then I will go to the why, but, but the writing process for this, how did this one come up, c- really come about? Because uh, was this original? Is it um, an expansion um, of, uh, of something that you've already written? Because we have some of those uh, types of chapters in this book. So can you talk to us about just the process of writing it and really how this chapter came about? Well, this one came from a Sunday school class, uh, uh, and a conference workshop, mm. then a couple different um, Q and A's that I've done, uh, with some of the people that wrote some of the books that I, that I used to write. Okay. Um, and I didn't dig too deep into, uh, the, the books that I had read about and around worship. I used sort of snippets from mm-hmm. them uh, so I could kind of focus on not trying to, uh, teach anyone anything. It takes a whole book, honestly, to get to dig in on worship. And I also nerd out very rapidly about uh, Christian worship. That's why we want you to write the book. We want you to write the book. (laughs) We keep telling Michelle to write the book, write the book. So I didn't want to go too niche. I didn't want to go so far away that any reader who picks up our musings, the full volume would be like, okay, let me just skip a couple pages. I want it to still stay um, interesting to the reader. So my process really was, what are the things that I believe every worshiper should have access to? Mm. 
no matter who you are, when you walk into the worship service, the Lord is for you. And the people who are leading you are bearing witness and they're serving you as well. And I think there's space to respect and honor and love our worship leaders. It's a very specific, both artistic and organized group of people. It is hard to be a worship leader. Um, But we also have to remember that we are not serving some higher corporate level, some higher value that is not godly. Mm. We are serving the God who is serving all the people. Mm. Mm. And that is why I wanted to make the chapter as human as possible. And serving the people through your worship. That's right. Leading the people to the throne. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, I do, I do really, well, I really hope um, that the the process of me saying, it, can I answer why for a person who is not a worship leader, is not musical, mm-hmm. um, has not thought about, should I have access to this? Um, in some ways, the average reader, the general audience reader, what can they get from this? So that's what I took my, um, my previous presentations and Sunday schools and that. I tried to take it and create and make something yep. that was more general audience. Yeah, and you, I think you did that successfully. I think it was, um, it's very accessible. Um, I don't think there's a part where you're like, I don't understand. You didn't go too, too deep into the technical aspects you know, <laughs> of worship, the different dimensions and realms, you know, of worship. There is a place for that. And that is important. And hopefully that will be in your book, <laughs> solo book eventually. But, but yeah, um, yeah, it, it keeps you engaged and it, it shows you, it's kind of like, man, what, what will this look like? I mean, well, I'm, I'm also thinking about your, your other chapter that we will also discuss at a later time, but I, I, I they go together, right? Because worship is a foretaste done well. <laughs> it's a foretaste of what we're going to experience in glory, right? And so it is important for for to for um listen or for not listeners, but for everybody, particularly uh, folks in the kingdom, to understand the relationship between love and justice. What does that look like when love and justice are holding hands? They're never meant to be separated. Um. And I guess you you could argue that you're not really doing justice if you're doing it apart from love. Yeah, I think I think you you've made this uh, chapter very very accessible, and I think a lot of people are going to um, feel affirmed. They're going to feel seen. They're going to feel heard. And I I think you're right that this is a chapter that people that are in these spaces can give to their pastors like read this <laughs> and go do likewise, right? <laughs> so, you know, and, or build off these musings, right? Because <laughs> these are musings, right? These are not our answers, but these are our musings and what things that we've been thinking about and turning over. Like you said, I love that you said this Sunday Sunday school curriculum, things from your Q&A, things from uh, uh, elements from your lectures, right? So these are things that you've been wrestling with for years. It wasn't like you just came up with this in the six months that we had to write the book. Like, no. These are things you've been turning over um, for some time. And so thank you for that offering. You know, I'm, uh, you know what, let me, let's take a quick commercial break. Take a quick commercial break. And then we're going to continue our discussion about love and justice in multi-ethnic worship with Michelle Higgins. So don't go nowhere, y'all. We'll be right back. Truth's Table, Black Women's Musings on Life, Love, and Liberation is a classic 
in the making, according to Tracy Michelle Lewis Jiggett, author of Black Joy, Stories of Resistance, Resilience, and Restoration. New York Times bestselling author, Dr. Jamar Tisby, says that people often say, listen to Black women. Now at Truth's Table, you have your chance. We don't deserve the gift of this book, but once again, Black women have generously served us all. If we are to actually alleviate the immense burdens our sisters bear, then we must heed their words. T. Morgan Dixon, co-founder of Girl Trek, says this, There is a textured knowing in this book, a spiritual enlightenment, made brighter by the author's own personal breakthroughs. The way they describe the fabric of our collective trauma makes me trust their solutions. And Dr. Joy Hardin-Bradford, founder of Therapy for Black Girls, says that Truth's Table, Black Women's Musings on Life, Love, and Liberation, shines a light on some of our most vulnerable places as Black women, leaving no stone unturned. Truth's Table, Black Women's Musings on Life, Love, and Liberation, is a clarion call to consider our communal truths by opening ourselves up to a deeper inner truth. By Truth's Table, Black Women's Musings on Life, Love, and Liberation, wherever books are sold. That's a lot of money, y'all. 37% of students with student loan debt owe over $100,000. Woo, that is almost a house. And y'all, I'm in the number. Jesus be a debt counselor. Dr. Roz has three degrees, including her PhD, and she only took $1,000 in loans. And she wants to teach you and your students how to earn a debt-free degree. Dr. Roz is a nonviolent strategist, culture shifter, and hugger. She teaches Dr. Martin Luther King's philosophy and methodology of nonviolence around the globe. And as part of that, she teaches students how to earn any degree without loans. That's right, y'all. Any degree without loans. Imagine the trajectory of your life or the life of a current student who goes into the profession unencumbered by student loan payments versus the student that's saddled with six-figure student loan debt. Dr. Roz has a great offer for Truth Table listeners. When you join any level of her Patreon community, send her a message in Patreon and mention Truth Table, and she will refund you half of your membership fee for the first month. That's right, y'all. When you join her community and you send her a DM saying you heard it from Truth's Table, she will refund you half of your membership fee for the first month of joining her Patreon community. Families and educators, this is a great way to guide your students to a debt-free degree using all the tips, tricks, and tools that Dr. Roz provides. To learn more, about debt-free degree, go to patreon.com slash debt-free degree and follow Dr. Roz on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at debt-free degree with Dr. Roz. And we are back at the table with M talking about love and justice in multi-ethnic worship. You know, um, Michelle, I'm curious about why this topic now in, let me set up the context that I'm thinking about, in the age of <laughs> deconstruction, uh, you know, I do, I do a chapter on decolonized discipleship because I put forward a different framework, you know, um, but in the age of deconstruction, um, where we see lots of reports, um, Pew Research, Barnard, where you see a lot of people, I'm sorry, um, even think tanks talking about um, people leaving 
the church and also leaving the faith. So it's not just that people are leaving the church, but they're also leaving the faith. And that's not to say that people that have left the church have necessarily left the faith, but you know, some of these things are um, not necessarily correlated, but, but there is um, both of those phenomena are actually happening um, in real time. And so I'm curious that with, with that context in mind, why do you think that this topic of love and justice in multi-ethnic workership is important? Because I, I, from my own anecdotal observation, <laughs> I'm sure I can find the data to back this up. I do see a lot of a lot of this fallout coming from. Um, it is happening in the black church too. I'm not trying to say that people, you know, the pandemic has definitely caused a great shaking, if you will, um, but. A lot of, say, like the racial trauma and things that are people are experiencing has come from multi-ethnic spaces, white evangelical spaces. And so and then that that has um, precipitated people's desire to deconstruct um, or, you know, and or, or whatever term they prefer, you know, um, to use to describe what they're doing about their faith or reconstructing their faith. So in that context, when given that context, why do you think this topic is important or even per- or relevant for right now? Yeah, well, you're spot on when you talk about that, uh, the great departure. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The other thing that is happening is something of a great divide. It's a divide from churches where a white leadership is now Mm -hmm. seen as uh, something that needs to be redressed, Mm -hmm. um, where you've got a whole bunch of black folks in the pews and, you know, one or two folks that are there for justice and advocacy ministries, mm-hmm. but not general preaching of the word. Mm-hmm. Um, black right. folks are hired, you know, specifically for the gospel choir or for community outreach. Right. And we don't have African-Americans in places of power. I'm right. um, just speak from my, from my context, uh, not seeing as many African-Americans in places of power in general, mm-hmm. authority, you know, to come and espouse thus says, says the right. Lord. And so I believe that that, is representative of a commitment to justice without community love. Mm, mm. And there are spaces where you see a lot of anti-politicking going on. It's so, it's so dramatic. It's so divisive to talk even an inch about policy, um, how people are cared for in our neighborhoods, how uh, different government structures might pay more attention to places that have been disinvested. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there's just a saturation of everybody love each other, hold hands. We're going to have barbecues and, you know, sing together and be truly diverse. Right. Um, but then have nothing to say to the people under the shadow of the steeple. Everything happens in the sanctuary, um, but we have nothing to say about outside mm-hmm. of it, nothing to say about the streets. And that, I believe, is you know, some, something closer to what people would call agape love without a commitment to justice. Right. I believe that these have to hold hands in order for either of them to make any sense. And one of the places that it is the most difficult to see it happen is in worship. Mm. The scripture you open up with, the songs that you lead, um, the representation on the stage, or even just like the one or two minutes that we give to explain a song before we go into it. What are we saying? Mm. It's in a language crafted with care Mm -hmm. is someone giving your welcome and unafraid to say, I, I have an accent. This is where it comes from. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or I have what to you sounds like an accent. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's true. (laughs) 
<laughs> are we unafraid to just say that? The black church, as I was growing mm-hmm. up, didn't have this kind of struggle. Right. You know, we were saying on an interview a couple of days ago or just last week, we didn't struggle with uh, the white gays. That was something we was coming to church to get away from. Right. So when you get up and our Caribbean mm-hmm. uh, worship leaders or our Ghanaian worship mm-hmm. leaders, just it wasn't as much of a struggle. Mm. But ever since Michael Brown, um, George Floyd later on, mm-hmm. Garner, Garner between them, uh, Trayvon before Mike Brown, ever since these events mm-hmm. in the United mm-hmm. States where we have to grapple with love and justice being public facing mm. And both critical parts of the gospel, um, it has been easier to open an outreach ministry, to have a conference, and to settle our discussions in work groups than it has been to create a feeling, a culture, as you said, a precursor to God's ultimate justice, which will be a worship service and a feast. Mm. Really hard for us to do those things in church right now. And so I think that the topic is important because we're often not afraid to read a book together and have really important, big, even debates, not just discussions, but debates. Mm -hmm. Um, But we have a very hard time experiencing any kind of discomfort during praise and worship. And why, why is that? Why is that? Well, you know what? You you, you do talk about some of the wise in the, so y- y'all gotta get the book to me because I said, like, hey, why tell us Michelle why now why so I was like you know what no wait hold up you, you gotta get the book you gotta get the book so <laughs> thank you though for 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 breaking that down um yeah I've always I mean yeah and I don't know I, I guess just as a people we've just been accustomed to like not having to understand everything <laughs> Every song that we're singing, everything that we're listening to, and that's because of the diversity of blackness. I suppose I don't know. Even just regionally in the U.S., there's terms and things that we that we don't use in maybe on the West Coast, but that are used in the Midwest, and we kind of we acclimate to it. Like, oh, okay, I think that might mean that. It might not, but whatever. Like you know, we, we can still you know come together. And I don't know. That is so. That is such a good point. Um, it's so interesting. We have a little. I think we have more. Um, a little bit more. I, cultural agility where we can just kind of move in yeah. and move out. And it's okay. We don't have to understand, you know, uh, everything, you know, our, our Caribbean siblings, they can go ahead and we, go, and we go rock and we go worship. Yeah. yeah. You know, and you know yeah, what you're saying is, is, is a, it's, it's a nicer way to say that we're not supremacists mm. um, because what the way the supremacy works in multi-ethnic context is that there is still a formula you must follow. You know, I give the example mm. in the chapter of the sister who didn't always put translations up for different sections. And folks were like, oh no, we can't see the English words that are being spoken. It, we're not obeying God right now. All right. No, that's your legalism. That's your legalism. That, that's what that is. That is your legalism. Uh, yeah. Wow. And so it really just people when when they lose control, when they or when they feel that they, they deserve mm-hmm. control mm-hmm. and they deserve is being threatened. They can't they can't even worship. They can't lift their hands and trust that God is bigger even than the person that's leading. Yeah. Them. We have we have work to do. Wow. And the other thing that I appreciate about blackness in general 
is um, that love is so key to survival. Um, we confront each other differently. We ask each other mm-hmm. questions differently. We banter differently. And to be honest, we fellowship while we're singing. Yes. So it already feels like a feast. Mm-hmm. And that those cultural, those major cultural differences um, come through in multi-ethnic worship. And uh, those on the margins often aren't centered. Our cultural riches aren't centered and, and they're not, they're not longed for. Yeah. So that's part of our problem as well. Wow. You know, so, I mean, on that note of just, you know, uh, you know, our own cultural preferences not being centered or not even really, you know, being desired, even maybe beyond maybe tokenization. I'm curious about your own joys and challenges in writing this subject, because it is very, this is part of your narrative. This is really close to your heart. You are, this was, you were born to worship. And so, um, yeah, what were your, some of the joys, the challenges, maybe struggles with writing this chapter, if any at all? And yeah, I'm just curious about that since it does hit close to home. Because somebody, I think, reading it or seeing the chapter title or thinking, oh, this is just, okay, this will just be a interesting objective thing about, you know, need, multi-ethnic churches needing to get it right, but not knowing really, like, this is part, this is your narrative. This is part of your narrative, you know? Oh, so can you talk to us about that? Yeah, it's very personal. Yeah. Um, it's it's very personal in, in terms of what I, what I feel I failed to do uh, mm-hmm. different parts of my ministry early on. And then, you know, my, maybe in the middle when I was beginning to become a person that folks thought, oh, you can teach us about worship. And uh, it's also for me, at least about seeing what I know so many of my worship leader peers and fellow worshipers struggle with. And they struggle so much with optics. They struggle so much with feeling like it was good enough. Um, So some of the joys that I had uh, were when I was able to write the ideas of not beating yourself up, just giving it, truly giving it to God and centering this idea that the more you strive to fabricate something that isn't part of your church culture, um, the more, the more likely you are to, to make an idol out of looking, looking good and doing it right. And so I, it was a joy for me to even tell stories of my own struggles so that I wasn't just being didactic. Um, but I was being hopefully yeah. communal mm-hmm. what I um, and, it, and and at the same time it was a struggle for me to talk about what I went through and how I'm not done mm. I'm not done um, in no small part because I, I guess sometimes I felt I felt like it it could be a failure to no longer be specifically in multi-ethnic worship mm-hmm. now I'm in a black church mm-hmm. uh, we don't have all black people. That the leadership, the worship, everything is soundly, squarely black. We work from the black liberation lens. And so it it sometimes feels like a failure that I didn't last mm. in multi-ethnic mm. worship space. Uh, so that was a challenge to just hmm. deal with that, right. to settle on it, and to go ahead and write my experience anyway. Um, but there is there is still a lot of joy in being able to encourage people to run on, yeah. to say to them, not only are you not alone, but it there may be a more direct route for you to root down um, than you're seeing right now. 
Right now, the route that we think we're supposed to take is to sing in seven different languages and do it well and to appear to be very diverse. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what I'm trying to offer readers is, do you believe in the local political and spiritual well-being and power of the most marginalized person? Mm. You can sing the Getty hymns all you want. You're fine. Are you rooted in love and justice? You don't have, if you suck Mm -hmm. at clapping on the two and four, God is not going to set you on fire. Yeah, yeah. It's all right. Please don't force, please, please, whatever you do, Mm -hmm. don't force that. And also let people leave if they have to. Mm. Because you have to love folks enough to not force them to stay, to see something that you're not. Mm. So I really wanted to offer people some some freedom from what I believe is a control-centered culture that has dominated worship for a mm. very long And that gave me joy. Yeah, that's good. You know, um, when you're talking about, you know, you can sing this, but are you doing love and justice? I just heard, you know, First um, Corinthians 13, the question kind of, well, this isn't the question, but I heard it as a question as you were talking. It's like, are you, are you a clanging cymbal and a noisy gong? That's right. You know, do you, is your love loveless? <laughs> do, do you really have love? Is is there love, uh, gas in your love tank? Is And is it full, you know? Um, and so, yeah, that that is really, really good, Michelle. I mean, you know, I'm wondering, we could keep on talking because I was like, because I was thinking about some of the other things where you've been pretty, um, there was a lot of self-reflection, self-examination about the ways that you're growing, right? And the things that you've, you've learned and kind of even some of, um, I guess, for lack of a better term, I'll just say this right now, but like your the own your own ignorance, right? To, to somebody like, oh, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that y'all, I didn't know that history, you know? And just like, I thought that was really helpful. I think that will be helpful, you know, for people, a helpful takeaway. So I'm curious about from your own vantage point as somebody that wrote this chapter, and um, put it in here as, as part of your musings. I'm wondering what you want um, the reader to take away. What do you want them now that now that they've read this, or or now that they are they're gonna get the book and they're reading it. What is it when you sat down and wrote? What do you want the people to take away from the chapter? And now that you've you know now that you're you're past the writing phase and you've been talking about the book and thinking about the book and holding it, what do you want the people to take away um, um, from? This chapter, Love and Justice in Multi-Ethnic Worship. My true hope is that uh, some part of the imagination will expand. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, well, and like you said, this is kind of a partner chapter to Keys of the Kingdom. Yeah, yeah, I see it that way too. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, I see it that way. They're kind of holding hands on it. And in so many ways, I'm asking not just worship leaders, but worshipers mm. to boldly expand their imaginations to something beyond the structure of the order of worship to see a new order that involves uh, looking at and appreciating everything that gets God excited about worship. That's what we're after too. And to to find this integrated, inclusive, um, communally amplifying uh, diversity of talents, not mm-hmm. just diversity mm-hmm. of skin tones, um, to look at what it's like to be Black and multicultural, what it's like to be many different races and multi-ethnic, 
um, and to really fall in with God as the great worship leader and to think to themselves as people who have been placed in a context, we must have a purpose. Right. And is that purpose that we talk about in our vision, that we talk about in our congregational meetings, that you can read about on our Sunday school curriculum? How is that vision communicated right here when you walk up in here and you hear the first song? Are we communicating the vision of glory that we're trying to get to? Mm -hmm. So I hope imaginations expand. That's my that's my biggest. Mm -hmm. Um, And if I were to give a concrete piece of just a hope and a desire, it's really to encourage um, black women who don't feel seen in worship, black women that don't feel centered in worship to them that, that, you know, I hate to call things bankrupt or say that stuff has is a problem, but, but we have we have work to do. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> your multi-ethnic church does still have work yeah. to do. And maybe you're you're sensing it. Mm. And if something that I said helps or resonates or leads you to have an Esther moment and say something or to have a Deborah moment, right. um, then praise God. Mm. Because my ultimate goal always is to remind our sisters. You are not alone, yeah. no matter how alone you feel. Yes. You're not alone. Yes, yes, yes. At the end of your worship, wherever you got to go to get it. Some of us have to turn on the radio and just sit in the Listen. car and walk in the same station that plays dance songs and the twerking the night before Sunday morning. That's it. Worship. That's so true. <laughs> and some of us have to do yeah. that. Uh, but I see, I see that system, mm. and I know that uh, the people who claim to have power mm. over what they don't control her praise. Mm. Well, Michelle, thank you for seeing these sisters that are in these spaces, the multi-ethnic church spaces, the white evangelical spaces, and yes, in the black church spaces, but particularly in those latter two, um, or sorry, former um, two spaces um, and using your own story, your own narrative that is very personal to you as an entry point um, for the sisters at the table and for the readers. Right. So is it, you know, it's not just the sisters, but you know, people that I think that people that are in these spaces will resonate they'll, you know, and who knows what this might do. You could spark a reform. You never know. <laughs> a little re- multi-ethnic worship reformation. You never, you really never know uh, what, what this could actually do. So thank you so much for um, availing yourself and offering, giving us this offering. And um, of course, course, we want to thank our sisters for taking a seat at the table with us this week. Let's keep the conversation going. Tweet us your thoughts about this episode behind our book, Love and Justice in Multi-Ethnic Worship with Michelle Higgins. You can use the hashtag Truths Table and hashtag Truths Table Book. Uh, Black women, we have a Black women's Facebook discipleship group. So go on to Facebook, like Truth Table's page, and answer the question so you can join our Facebook group today. Invite your homegirls too. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Truth Table, and email us your thoughts at Ask Truth Table. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and subscribe on your favorite podcast player. Truth Table has a Patreon account now, so y'all can send your love offerings to patreon.com slash Truth Table, or you can bless us at our PayPal, which is paypal.me slash Truth Table. Truth Table is made possible in part by Pottery Studios. Visit Pottery.com for the highest in quality online audio entertainment. Our producer for the show is Joshua Heath. Our executive producer is Bo York. And we have been your hosts, Kemeny, Michelle, and Christina. We'll see you soon on the next Truth Table. Bye, y'all.